I'm so happy that I don't know some of you because that means the church has grown and God is moving and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, but seeing you guys, I, I'm like, I looked at Jackie, I was like, do you have all the feels, you know? And uh, I, 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 everybody should feel what I'm feeling right now. Every Christian, at least once in their life, they should feel that sense of just overwhelming, like, I'm looking at each of you and <clears throat> seeing like your stories and thinking about your stories and feeling the love that I have for you that goes way beyond just like, yeah, we, we went through some stuff together. Like there's a spiritual real, like you're my brother, you're my sister. And so you think like, oh, every Christian should feel that. And then it hit me like, we will one day fully and forever in the new heaven, new earth where it like will never end. Your heart tank, your, your love tank will be on full, never to be diminished. For like eternity. Uh, so this is just like a little appetizer for what's to come. Uh, but you know, one of the great things, like when you come on a trip like this, you're like, we want to see everybody and we want to eat everything. Uh, and there's an ancient proverb, the journey of a thousand carbs begins with a single slice. And so we land and it's like bagels, pizzas, friends, bagels, pizzas, friends, Indian food, friends. And it's uh, and, and, but there's not enough time. And that's, that's what hit me. Like, of course there's not. Because a good friend of mine, C.S. Lewis, <laughs> he, he, he makes that point. He says, like, something like, and I'm paraphrasing it, but something like, God, that makes sense. He would give you just enough goodness so you would see all that, but not so much that you would ever think that this was your heart's true home. Right? And so we're waiting for what's to come. One of the great gifts um, that, that uh, Jackie and I, we, we pray every night. But the Bible says, I'll give you shepherds after my own heart. And Jonathan and his family is a shepherd after God's own heart. And so be, to be able to come under his authority and, and, to, and to come at his invitation and to see Param and, of course, assistant pastor A.J. Kumar, who is... <laughs> And the staff and the worship has been so good. And so, you know, th- there's always a risk. I mean, to be, I, I, you know, I, I've come with a word uh, for you, and there's always this risk. Uh, some of my preacher buddies, we joke about this. Every Easter, the temptation is to overswing because you just want to hit a home run, right? The temptation is you overswing. So it's like, okay, relax, let's just slap a single and get on base. You know, let's just, you know. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a text and we're going to do what we've always done. Walk through that text together and see how uh, God wants to apply it to our life of all. But, you know, I can't help myself. It got to come at it just a little bit odd. And so we're going to do a love story. A love story. Genesis chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, will you turn to Genesis chapter 24? If you've got a Bible on a device where you can choose lots of versions and you want Word for word, the same version I'm using, I'm using the English Standard Version, the ESV, if you have a choice. If not, uh, they'll all work, but Genesis chapter 24, and it's really a story of love. It's a story of dating, of courtship and marriage. Some of you are like, whoa, this is very on the nose. Maybe you're in a season of dating, or maybe you want to be in a season of dating, or some of you remember a season of dating. Or, uh, to those of you, God has given some the gift of marriage. God has given some the gift of singleness. But for those who have not been given the gift of singleness, who are given the gift of marriage, dating can be an uncertain time. I heard Skip Heisig talk about, he found this news article, of what may be the worst date in the history of dating. 
What's important for many of you who are members of this church, you need to know, is uh, this news article comes from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and this is the most important thing. This happened before there was such a thing as, and I know this is going to blow your mind, a phone, a cell phone. Before there was such a thing called GPS, there was a world, only some of you will know it, where you printed off something called MapQuest. (laughs) Some of you are like, what's MapQuest? Some of you are like, what's a printer? So I, I get that. But years and years ago, out of Colorado Springs, Colorado, Mike Driggs and Pam Sears went out for a dinner date. He wanted to go to a restaurant out of town, so they were driving. He got lost and ran out of gas. I mean, like, legitimately ran out of gas. This wasn't like a move. Oh, okay, all right. So now the couple on their date have to walk. You said, why didn't they call? Pre-cell phone. So they have to walk two miles from their stalled vehicle to a gas station. They get a gas can. They hitch a ride back with a tow truck. And when they get back, very romantic, right? When they get back, they discover, to their astonishment, the vehicle's not there. It's been stolen. It gets even more romantic. They go back to the gas station, call the police. Police show up 45 minutes later. It takes two hours to complete the police report. Now they're well into the evening. And anybody else would have said, Mike, just go home. Mike is undaunted. He goes to a local uh, airport there, a regional airport, and take a $20 cab ride to a regional airport. That tells you how long ago that was. You can never uh, uh, get, rent the car, drive to dinner. They finally get their dinner date. Finally. After dinner, they're walking out of the restaurant, and Mike is informed by the valet who parked his car so apologetically that we backed your, of course, rental car into a guardrail, and now it's all, the back end is all smashed. And so now he has a damaged rental car. To make matters worse, driving Pam home, he is pulled over by the police for having no brake lights because the back end was completely smashed. At the end of all of this, Pam feels so bad for Mike. She says, just come in for a few minutes just to decompress. Poor guy. And uh, as Mike goes in, Pam's German shepherd lunges at him and <laughs> bites him in the arm. He gets 18 stitches in the local emergency room and the date ends at one o'clock in the morning. Now, I don't know what kind of bad date you have, but that's the worst. The date, uh, it turns out this story does have a bit of a happy ending. It turns out Pam ended up marrying the intern she met that night at the emergency room. And I'm betting Mike is still single. Now, of all the things in that, you say, okay, so that's a crazy story. But at least culturally, we have a reference for all that stuff. At least the stuff kind of made sense, right? We're going back to a love story 4,000 years old. And if we're not careful, we will trip over some of the cultural things we're going to encounter. For one thing, you'll see like the dowry. Uh, A dowry back then, a dowry was like uh, prepaid alimony. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of like... We'll learn from this text that, remember, the women did a lot of the manual labor back then. So you had to offset. Think about it. You had, the, the woman leaves the bride's family and goes lives with the groom's family. So you had to offset the economic loss of losing a laborer. You, moreover, you could spend the interest on a dowry, but you couldn't spend the principal. Why? Well, if something were to happen to that man, you, you had, in a patriarchal society, you had no standing. So by that, that, that dowry, you were able to go back and have something to, uh, to, to live on. The other thing was the, 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 who you could, the whom you could marry. Uh, it would be really weird. You couldn't marry anybody in your own household. That'd be weird and gross. But you, you married from within. It had to be from within that particular uh, family lineage. Again, it wouldn't make much sense to us today, but it made sense to them 4,000 years ago. So you can imagine a couple dude bros talking 4,000 years ago, and they might say something like, bro, She's perfect for you, man. She's pretty, and she's smart. She's single, you know. Um, and now, nowadays, what would they say? Nowadays, what would you say? She's pretty, she's smart, she's single, but, like, bad news, bro. 
She's like your distant cousin. So, yeah. But back then, it was like, bro, she's smart. She's single. She's pretty. And best of all, she's like your distant cousin. It's perfect. So you see how that's uh, different. I know I grew up in Kentucky, and I know what you're, some of you, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't want to hear it. The jokes write themselves, and I, yeah. And finally would be the arrangement system. Now, uh, some of you may be familiar with this culturally, but uh, the, the, the idea was that, that, that um, they had this crazy idea 4,000 years ago, that we should let the people who know you best select the lifelong mate that would be the best partner for you. We don't do that. We let the people who are least likely to make a good decision make that call, right? And I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm thinking about going, anybody here got like a 13-year-old, 10 and 8? I'm just thinking, yeah, I got a two-for-one dowry special. After, see me after. I'm thinking about arranging these. Um, so I'm just saying, like, some of the things we're going to bump into, we might think, oh, they do dating a little weird, but then I think they would look at us in 2022, to be fair, I think they may say, you think what we do is weird. Really? Really swipe right? Like, really? Like, you think, you think what we do is weird. So let's not bump over that. Instead, uh, let's see what the text wants us to see. And that's really about the uncertainty. Now, for anyone given the gift of marriage, and you're in that dating time, there is, there's no other way to say it, there's a kind of unsettling uncertainty and there's pressure. You talk to single people. Some of you would back me up on this. There's this kind of pressure, this uncertainty. What's going to happen? Is it going to happen? And you feel that. But y'all, this is Genesis chapter 24. This is not just any bride. This is the story of Abraham finding a bride for Isaac. This is not just any bride. This is Isaac, the child of promise. Yo, if Isaac doesn't find a bride, right now Sarah has died and there's no mother in Israel. If Isaac, if we don't get Isaac a bride, then there's no Jacob and Esau. And if there's no Jacob and Esau, that means there's no Israel. Jacob is later named Israel. And that means there's no 12 tribes of Israel. And if there's no 12 tribes of Israel, there's no one of the tribes, which is Judah. And if there's no Judah, there's no royal bloodline of the Messiah that gets to David, which ultimately gets to Jesus. If the, like the salvation of the world depends on this guy getting a date. You think you felt pressure, Right? <laughs> You may have felt pressure, but the salvation of the world didn't depend on it. And that's what we have here. And that's what I came to tell you. That's why it's such a big deal. I have uh, preached over the years at New Hope. I have preached many point sermons. I have most often preached three-point sermons. I'm sure more than once I preached sermons that were pointless. Uh, (laughs) But today I just have uh, one point for you. And... I feel like the Lord laid on my heart what to tell this sweet church that I love with all my heart. Uh, Because think about all you've been through. And think about all those churches walked through and you've hung in there, you've hung in there together. Think about weathering the storms of pandemics and all that, and and, and just the vicissitudes of, of, of life. You think about all that stuff. And this is the one thing I came to tell you. And it's straight out of Genesis 24, I think. In uncertain times, you can trust a certain God. That's it. In uncertain times, you can trust a certain God. And I thought, man, I hope that they get that. And then Brittany stands up here and introduces oceans by basically saying, with all the stuff going around, you can trust the promise of God. I'm like, yeah, that. That's, I'm like, Param, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. By the way, congrats, dude. That's great. Yeah. 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 So here we go. We got to get Isaac a bride. We got to get Isaac a bride. 
There are many problems to this. Why? Well, his, his ancient homeland, the, the source of eligible bachelorettes, remember, Abraham was called out of the land of the Chaldees. So the, all the eligible bachelorettes are 520 miles away in Mesopotamia. They're way back there. And that's where we pick up the story. Now, Abraham, verse one, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. Just file this away for later. It's interesting. We have an unnamed servant who, though he is a servant, it seems he had charge of all that Abraham has. There seems to be a parity, a a kind of equality here. Interesting. Let's hold on to that thought. So Abraham said to the servant, put your hand under my thigh. Yeah, I may have left out one other weird cultural thing. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, that, that's how they made a, 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 a solemn oath back then. We don't, we don't have to do that. Let's just shake, let's just shake hands. I'm cool. Uh, here's why. That I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Here it is. That you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now, it's a bit of a side note, but it's worth bearing out. Abraham's chief concern for his child is something that every Christian parent can relate to. If God gives my child the gift of marriage, I pray, God, they marry a believer. This has nothing to do with race. This has everything to do with faith. I don't care what race. I care what faith. I want him to have a heart for the Lord. And if you're single and you would, you, you're, 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 you've been given the gift of marriage, I want you to think long and hard about what this principle is. Again, it's a bit of a side note, but let me, let me uh, challenge you a little bit. Uh, uh, Mary, don't be uh, unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So, you know, somebody might come to me and say, uh, Pastor, uh, w- will you marry me? Well, can you imagine if you went to a contractor who built homes and you said, I've got this land and I want you to build this home, but you're not allowed to lay a foundation. That contractor would say, I wish you well but I'm not the man for your job. Why? Because I, I, I'm sorry, professionally, with everything in me, I, I can't build a home that doesn't have a solid foundation. So if you were to come to me and say, Pastor, will you marry us? I'm a strong believer. This person, they're not really a believer. Here's what I would say. I wish you well. I love you. I want the best for you. Are you telling me that you can, there can never be a good marriage? You can never have any happiness? No, but I would say, look, you, you, gotta, have, you, gotta, you gotta build on that solid foundation together. I want that for you. So again, it's a bit of a side note, but uh, uh, here we see it in the text. So Abraham is committed. The girl must be a believer. But this is an impossible task. And the servant realizes that. And so he raises an objection, but he could have raised a trillion. I mean, 520 miles away? Who's to say that she's even alive? Who, how many, this is like a needle in a haystack. How are we going to find? Oh, and not only that, who's to say that she even wants to come back, right? I mean, like, she has a say in this. So even if I survive, the, this is a 520-mile 500, journey. Took them 21 days by camel. Now, ponder that. This is pre-GPS. How, and this, they didn't have those self-driving Tesla camels. They only had regular camels. Can you imagine? So you, you laugh. Think about that. If I took away your phone, if I took away your phone right now, I Googled it. From, from right here where we are at this church, if I said, go right now on a journey to Wheeling, West Virginia. It's 520 miles away. Yeah, how would you do? That's not happening, exactly. You wouldn't even know where to start. You'd be like, I don't know, I guess west, I guess, maybe, right? All right, so that's what they did. Now, 
Will I even survive the journey? And, and, and what if she doesn't want to come? I mean, right? What, what if this, 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 this young woman is like, honestly, this is a little, uh, hey, I live 520 miles away. Uh, you want to come back with, uh, right? So the servant points out, that may be the most obvious. The servant says, verse five, the servant said to him, what? It's an impossible thing. Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take, I mean, must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? In other words, wouldn't this be a lot easier if we did it different? I mean, let's just take Isaac and, 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 and bring him to that land. Abraham is adamant. No, see to it that you do not take my son back there. Why? That would be going backward on the promises of God. He's moving forward in faith. God promised him this land. He's not going backward. He's moving forward. But it's hard not to sympathize with the servant. It's an impossible task. So he tells Abraham, it's an impossible task. Now here's where this touches some of you right here tonight. Some of you are are sitting under the weight of an impossible task. Some of you have the Christian maturity and you have over the years become very serious about this thing called the Great Commission to take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And so your heart is for the nations. And you look around, you think about one billion Muslims. You think about right here in our neighborhoods. You think about your friends at school and they seem like they they don't, they don't seem to care about the things of God. And you look at that and you go, how are we going to make a difference? That's an impossible task. What are we going to, I mean, I, I know God's got his promises on my life, but that's an impossible task. For others of you, it's, it's your, your Christian maturity and you've grown and you've got a heart for the poor and the disadvantaged, for the abused and the hurt. And you go, you look at these folks, some of them are caught up in addictions and some of them are in these really, really tough situations. Your heart hurts. You go, but that's an impossible task. How are we gonna, how, what, what can I do to help? For others of you, you hear that and you go, yo, I would, I would love to say I'm concerned about the nations. I would love to think I'm concerned about others. If I were honest with you, Pastor Tom, I, honestly, the impossible task I face is like Tuesday mornings. Just like getting up and doing, doing the deal. And getting, getting my kids and, and getting my kids to school and finding their shoes. And, uh, and, 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 and maybe you've got a health problem. And you're going, my impossible task. And I, it's like, I can't even get outside my own head. Uh, anxiety and depression and hurt and pain. And, and for some of you, it's, it's a financial crisis. And you're going, it's an impossible task. And you've come here and it took all the faith you could muster just to come to a church on a sunny night. You're beaten down and you go, it's an impossible task. So what do you say in the face of an impossible task? You say to Abraham, the servant says... I love what you're doing. I love that this is a commission. I, lo- I get it. God's got his hand on my life. I get that. But I'm faced with an impossible task. What do you do? What does Abraham say? Abraham responds with what are the last recorded words in the Old Testament of Father Abraham. Last thing he said. La- last thing we have written that he says. And I imagine, oh, Father Abraham, here's that servant. Talk about impossible. And I imagine old Father Abraham leans back. He takes a deep breath. And he says, young man, who's probably just as old as he was, slightly younger man, I'm sorry. You're going to lecture me about impossible? You're going to tell me, Father Abraham, about what God can't do? You, you, you're honestly going to tell me about what God cannot, impossible, impossible, impossible is when your 90-year-old wife wakes up with morning sickness. <laughs> impossible is trying to fill out the paperwork convincing the nursing home to add a pediatric wing. Uh, 
Impossible is trying to put together an Ikea nursery crib when you're 100. You're going to talk to me. Impossible is when God calls a man out of Ur of the Chaldees and says, you go where I send you. I don't know where I'm going. And he gets me here to this promised land. Impossible is when he took me by the hand and climbed up a mountain and told me to count the stars in the sky when I was barren. He said, that's how many offspring you're going to have. You can't even count them. Impossible is when I took my young Isaac up Mount Moriah and was about to sacrifice him under the Lord. You're going to talk to me about what God can't do? And at the last minute, there was an angel and a ram in the thicket. And not for nothing. You know what a ram in the thicket? You ever thought about that? You know what a thicket is, don't you? It's a bunch of thorns. So you're telling me 4,000 years ago, God provided a substitute with a little crown of thorns. It's like the whole Bible is a big neon sign pointing to Jesus going, it's about him. Even the ram in the thicket points us to our Lord. So don't don't lecture me about impossible. Look at his answer. Abraham says, you want to know about impossible? The Lord. There's my answer to impossible. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I'll give this land, and I love this. He doesn't know how it'll happen. I don't know. He'll send his angel before you. You shall take a wife for my son from there. In uncertain times, Abraham knew you can trust a certain God. Abraham had what all of us need. You guys, you need a highlight reel of the faithfulness of God in your life. That way, when you go through the tough times, you can pop in that highlight reel. Years ago, in a whole different world, there was this thing called a VCR. <laughs> and it played this digital media of some sort, physical media. I'm not sure how it works. It's magical. <laughs> but you could, when your beloved Jets or Giants or an unnamed football team out of Cincinnati was having a rotten year, which was every year, you could pop in that tape and you could go back and watch the highlights of your team. Or if you had my team, the highlight. The way, you know, there wasn't a lot there. So when you go through the tough times, you go back through your prayer journal, see? And you go back through that and you go, wait a minute, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. My answer to impossible, I can reflect on the highlight reel of the faithfulness of God. All this way he's led me. Well, your job is just to offer. This is an application for evangelism, verse 8. But if the woman's not willing to follow you, you'll be free from this oath of mine. But you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And the servant sets off. I love this. Verse 10 is a uh, a 520-mile, 21-day journey collapsed into one verse. (laughs) Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking, oh, this is important, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. Remember the dowry? And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. 21-day journey. Now, I have never ridden on a camel but I met a man who did. And he told me he was in the Holy Land and took a tour. And he said after about five miles of camel riding, he had all the camel riding he wanted. Apparently they're very rocky and very uh, uh, difficult and uncomfortable. And so this guy goes 21 days, 520 mile journey, the whole time looking up at the stars, looking up at at the Lord, going, God, I I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if we're going to live. I don't know if any of Abraham's relatives are even still alive. I don't know. And wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? Verse 11. And he made his, and he, 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 at last, he reaches Nahor. It's unbelievable. Against all odds, he reaches Nahor. And he gets there. And so what does he do? He looks around. And he thinks, well, I'm going to go 
to the time, the well at the time of evening. Look at verse 11. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. I love that. He is so desperate and so hopeless that he makes the camels pray. Did you see that? He makes them kneel down. The camel's like, what are we doing? I don't know, can't hurt. And he thinks, Lord, I'm, I, I've done all I know to do. I didn't go to school for this. I don't know how to do this. I've done all I know to do. I'm on a mission, and I feel clueless. Does this sound like any of you? You didn't go to school for this, these things that are happening to you in your life. I think about your pastors and your leaders here at New Hope, and I think nobody went to school to know, to know pandemic and public health stuff. We went to love God's people and preach God's word. We don't know. And so, so many people, it's like, I'm not prepared for life. I, 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 hey, done all I know to do. Lord, I'm, I'm, I've, I've come to the place where the eligible bachelorettes come to draw water. And he said, we need some sort of signal, Lord. And he said, oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, he's like, God, you see me here, right? I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. So we need some sort of signal. How am I gonna know which one? Um, all right, here we go. Let the young woman to whom I say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And if she says, drink. Well, first of all, that wouldn't be very impressive at all. See, ancient Near East hospitality, it was a matter of life and death. You know, we get the word hospital from hospitality. You're going through the desert, and, and if, if you're not, I mean, if somebody asks you for a drink, you give it because they could die. And so if she says, like, like, you know, have a drink, that's no big deal. Of course, if she didn't, you know, like, may I have a drink? No, creep, get your own water. Well, then we know she's probably not the one. That would, yeah, that would rule her out, yeah. But if she says drink, but she, that would be normal. Let her do something so outrageous and so incredible that there can be no mistaking this is the one. So, so let her say drink and, um, and I will water your camels. Yeah, let her be the one who you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know you have shown steadfast love to your master, uh, to, to, to my master. Now, why, would, why did he say that by this I shall know? Because when it says water your camels, he's not just talking about spraying, off, spraying down the camel, you know, knocking the, the dirt off. Uh, talking about giving camels this water. Uh, th- this is no easy task. It would have taken hours of work. I googled how much water can a thirsty camel hold in its hump? You see the quality of research you get around here. <laughs> so they've been traveling for 21 days. It's been a long time since they filled up. And uh, water was $4.90 a gallon at that time. It was very, and it all had to be drawn by hand. So a thirsty camel could consume 40 gallons of water, all of which had to be drawn by hand. It ends up being 2,400 pounds of water. It would have taken, we learned there's 10 camels. It would have taken hours and hours of work. No sooner had he prayed that, look at verse 15. No sooner had he prayed this. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca. I need to make a point. All too often, you think, you got, I think about you, as I'm preaching, I think, you got a lot of stuff facing you tomorrow morning. Some of you going through some stuff at work, going through some family. Some of you, it's facing you at home. It is tempting to think, when you leave here, don't worry, God is at work, God's working. That's true, but it's even better than that. According to the scriptures, before he had finished speaking, God had already begun to answer. What that means is, whatever you're facing right now, it's not like when you leave here, God may show up. 
God has already begun working on your thing while we're in here worshiping. He's on it. Before he finished speaking, how many Wednesday nights, Audrey, do you think, how many Wednesday nights we would go to Audrey's apartment and have prayer? And I love that you're still doing a prayer meeting. I think you do it on a different day, a little different way, but there's still this heartbeat of prayer. How many times have I heard our sister Audrey Olson say something like, and we know before we've even finished praying, you've already begun answering. How many times? I learned how to pray from her. You know, like, she's right. Before we even get to amen, she would say, and we thank you in advance. Before, the Bible says, before he'd finished speaking, Rebecca. And the reader's like, that's great. Who's Rebecca? Who was born to Bethuel? And we're all like, I feel like I should know who that is. The son of Milka? That doesn't help. The wife of Nahor? Can I phone a friend? Like, who are these people? Abraham's brother? And now we're like, yes, Abraham's brother. That means, that means she's in the right. So it's the, it's the right gal. And she's in the right. Ah. And she came out with a water jar on her shoulder. And now the reader knows. Now the reader's like, there's no way he would bring this up only to be like, and that was not her. Like, clearly, we all know. And the servant in the story doesn't. Listen carefully. That's your life. God knows everything's going to be okay. You just don't know it yet. The Bible always does that. It lets you in on stuff. And the, the reader gets to know stuff, but the people in the story don't get to know. But you get to know. God, it's, it's worked out. Okay. The young woman, here we go. The, okay, Rebecca. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. So she's single. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here's the test. In verse 17, then the servant ran to meet her. It's a faithful servant. He didn't just walk. He ran. And he said, here it is. <gasps> Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly, watch how the narrator slows the narration down to a painful crawl. None of this adds anything to the plot. All he had to say was, and she gave him a drink. Watch what they say instead. Well, watch what the writer says. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand. Like, oh, come on. You're just drawing this. She used her hands for this job in case anyone was curious that she used her foot to feed the guy. Like, obviously, he's slowing it down. He wants to draw us in because there's such suspense. What's it going to be? Because we all know what we're waiting for. What are we waiting for? Not just the drink. We're waiting for the, you know, drink, my Lord. She quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. So far, that's just being polite. That's just good manners. Anybody would have done that. When she had finished giving him a drink, can you imagine? Servant's like, say it. Say it. He sees Rebecca. Yes, look at the camels. Sense their thirst. Say it. And she's looking around at the camels. She's looking around. And she said, not like, and I'll draw water for your camels also until they finish drinking. Yes! 
And she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and drew well water for all the camels. Got to go back. It's taking hours. The guy's speechless. He's like a cartoon. Jaw drops open. Eyes popped out. I can't believe what I'm seeing. It's happening. Now you think like, oh, Tom, you're making this up. He's speechless. Verse 21, the man gazed at her in silence. That's what it is to be speechless, to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Now, we read this and we're like, dude, I'd say the Lord prospered your journey. But remember, you know something that he doesn't know. He knows, but he doesn't know if she's from the right family, right? Oh, uh, it is uh, uh, a speechless moment. But now the fateful million-dollar question. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms, weighing 10 gold shekels. And there's a moral of the story here, guys. If you're gonna ask the million dollar question, you better have the 10 and a half shekel ring. (laughs) I believe one of our theologians once said, if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. I believe that was the (laughs) official wording. I gotta know, are you one of God's people? And said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord, right? And she's like, it's just straw and fodder. Like, you can get that at Home Depot. You don't, like, what's the big, it's just a little thing. Here's an application. In the kingdom of God, there's no such thing as a little thing. Right, it's all big things. In fact, in fact, here's the thing. God will use you. God is using you. And some of the ways he's using you most powerfully are in things you didn't even know you said. You were just being you. You were just living at work. So watch this. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and I want you to bear much fruit. So that means there's fruit coming out of your life. But watch this. I heard a pastor say this yesterday. I thought, that's totally true. God will not let you see all the fruit you're producing because otherwise you would get the big head and think you were the vine. So what he will do is strategically hide some of the fruit and he'll show you just enough you need so you don't get discouraged. He'll show you a little bit, but it won't be till glory you'll see all of it full-orbed in the sunshine. All this fruit. And like, why didn't you show me that? Because you'd have gotten prideful. So what that means is if you're going through life going, but I don't see any fruit, you stay connected to the vine. You let him worry about the fruit. And it could be there's fruit everywhere and you you, you, you don't get to see it yet. That's okay. But don't deny, there's fruit. Okay, we, uh, we'll, come, we'll bring this to a close. You, you, uh, amazing, we got the, oh, wow. Bless be, bless the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. He's so excited, he's not forsaken his uh, steadfast love and faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord's led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. In uncertain times, you can trust a certain God. The young woman ran, told the mother's household, verse 29, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Uh, Keep your eye on Uncle Laban. Hide the silverware when Laban's around. Laban ran out to meet the man. He doesn't care about the guy. He wants to see who iced up his sister's arms. So he's like, oh, come in, beloved of the Lord. Verse 31, why do you stand outside? I've prepared the house. No, you didn't. Your daughter did all this. Whatever. I've prepared the house, a place for the camels. So the man came to the house, this unnamed servant, unharnessed the camels, gave straw and fodder to the camels. There was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And Laban said, speak on. This was a reversal of ancient Near East hospitality. This was unheard of. Stranger comes along. 
The rule is simple. You feed the stranger. You take care of their needs. Then you hear their story. This guy says, no, I don't want to eat. I know this is completely breaking all cultural rules, but I need to tell you why I came. Then and only then will I eat. The faithful servant won't eat until he, come, until he tells why he came. And he says, I'm on a mission. This unnamed servant has been sent forth from Abraham and Isaac to capture for Isaac a bride. Isaac, who, by the way, we haven't seen in two chapters. The last time we saw Isaac, he was up Mount Moriah and has now somehow come back to us. But we now have an unnamed servant who has issued forth from the father and the son to win for the son a bride. And he tells about this, this master. He, he, he said, verse 34, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord's greatly blessed my master, and he's become great. He's given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when he was old and given him all that he has. He said, oh, let me tell you about my master. He goes on to tell the whole story. Let me tell you about his miraculous birth. Let me tell you about the faithful day he went up the mountain. And let me tell you that the entire inheritance of the father now belongs to the son, and he's come looking for a bride. Now let me tell you about my master. So what's it going to be? Verse 49, if you're going to show steadfast love, tell me. If not, tell me. I'll turn to the right hand or the left. I need a clear-cut answer. In verse 58, they call Rebecca after some delay. Will you go with this man? Verse 58, I will go, she said. Love story complete. There's a mother in Israel again. Yeah, salvation history. It's going to get to go on. Well, uh, that's it. Uh, it's a great love story, and I love a love story as much as anyone else. Perhaps we will watch a Hallmark movie this Christmas. Okay, uh, fine. Uh, but here's the deal. Did you know, trivia, Genesis chapter 24 is the longest chapter, not only in Genesis. Did you know this? Genesis 24, this love story of Isaac and Rebekah, is not only the longest chapter in Genesis, it's the longest chapter in the entire Torah. In the whole first five books of the Old Testament, this is the long... I love a love story as much as anybody else. But you got to ask, that's a lot of ink to be spilled on this love story that tells us about the faithfulness of God in uncertain times to this unnamed servant and about how Isaac gets a bride. So you have to wonder, could it be that God puts this in his word, not just so that we would know how God was faithful to an ancient unnamed servant who issued forth from the father and the son to capture for the son a bride. And it could be that it's not just in there to show us that God was faithful to Israel when there was no mother in Israel, that Rebecca was going to marry Isaac and God was going to be faithful to Israel. Could it be, and some of you I have been trying to drop hints and signal now for several minutes about where I'm going, could this be that this is meant to point us to the cosmic love story, the greatest love story ever told? Could it be that there is still an unnamed servant who issues forth from the father and the son to win for the son a bride? Now, isn't that something? Ponder with me. We know the name of God the Father, Yahweh. And we know the name of God the Son, Jesus. But it's just God the Holy Spirit. He's an unnamed servant, but he's a faithful servant. And when he comes, what does he say? He doesn't talk about himself. He says, oh, let me tell you about my master. Let me tell you about the Son. Let me tell you about his miraculous birth. Let me tell you about all the promises. Let me tell you that all authority has been given to him, and he's come to share that authority with you. He's come to win a bride doesn't Jesus say in John 16, when the Holy Spirit comes, he won't testify of himself, but he'll tell the truth about Jesus? 
There is still, church, there is still an unnamed servant, the Holy Spirit, who to this day issues forth from the Father and the Son to capture for himself a bride. That's why you keep evangelizing. That's why you keep sharing the good news. That's why you keep bearing faithful witness. When your whole workplace or your whole school or your whole world seems to say, God can't heal, God can't save, you, Jesus said, you are my witnesses. You tell them different. Because you've seen it, you've heard it. And you go, knowing you go in the strength of this unnamed servant who is still winning for his people, uh, winning for his master, a bride. And, and, and don't believe the hype. People want to hear. People want to hear the good news. And that's a, a, a word for evangelism. I suppose the, the music, musicians come. We have a time of, is that, okay. Uh, if you just glance at verse 61, if the musicians want to come and prepare, um, I think this is a word for this church. Uh, Rebecca and her young, woman arose, young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man, and thus the servant took Rebecca and went on his way. So you get the whole 520-mile journey in reverse. I don't know if you're like me, but you have to wonder about that journey. Uh, how many times along that journey did poor Rebecca think, what have I done? That's the Christian walk, isn't it? So, so the Holy Spirit has touched your heart. And First Peter says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. You haven't seen Jesus, but you love him. And now you're on the journey home. And, and, and maybe along the way you have doubts. Maybe like Rebecca, you have these doubts. What have I done? So I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think Genesis 24 is in here to ask the question, did that servant get that bride safely home? Did the servant get the bride safely home? Yeah. Is the Holy Spirit going to get this church safely home? You bet. In uncertain times, you can trust a certain God. And there may have been many nights where poor Rebecca, you know, after a long day of traveling, I can see her gathering around the fire and... Uh, Really wondering, what have I done? And so she goes to the unnamed servant, does the only thing you should do. Goes to the unnamed servant and says, uh, hey, listen, would you do me a favor? Yes, dear one, anything. Would you, uh, would you just tell me again? What do you mean? Well, like all that stuff you said about the, where we're going and what he's like, would you, just, would, you just sort of tell, would you tell me that again? And he would tell her all about the son and all about the glory, and all of everything that God has done, all the promises of God, and all about the splendor of the promised land, and where we're going, and that would give her strength to go through another day. And maybe a few days later, she'd be like, hey, listen, um, I know this is crazy. Uh, would you tell me again? About, Dear one, I just told you this. Two I, know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I need to hear it again. Tell me about where we're going. Tell me about all the promises of God. Tell me all that stuff again, about all the, 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 the master and his son, and okay. So maybe, church, maybe, maybe if you can, maybe the best thing to do would be get alone with the Holy Spirit and say, tell me again the story of Jesus. Tell me the story, because the road is getting hard. So tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Love in that story so tender, clearer than ever I see. Stay, let me weep while you whisper, love paid the ransom for me. Let me hear it again. And then there will come a day when the sky will be ripped open and we will see him. And First Peter says, though we have not seen him, we love him. And that servant got Rebecca safely home. And the Holy Spirit will get his church safely home.
Every one of you blood-bought, born-again Christians, he's going to get you safely home. That's what I came to tell you. In the midst of an uncertain times, you can trust a certain God. I love you with all my heart. Let me pray for you. God, thank you that in the midst of uncertain times, we can trust a certain God. Thank you, Lord, that to those who come, you can't lose one. And you will get the bride of Christ safely home. And thank you, God, for the chance to go to the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and ask to hear that gospel story again and again until it permeates us with such hope to take another step and to go forward into what may seem like an impossible task for your glory. God, would you bless this church? Bless the pastors here. Bless the leaders. Bless these deacons. Bless every member. Bless those little children down there and New Hope kids and bless their teachers. God, have your hand upon it. You've been so good to this church, Lord. And thank you for all that you're doing. Keep having your hand of protection and defend her and guide her and continue to pull her close and remind her of the good gospel news until we're all safely home. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our King. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.